dude, I keep getting this error occurred on LinkedIn. Oh, is there an error that I'm gonna move? I'm gonna move that. I suggest going the other way. Oh, the other way. Okay. Are we on? I guess we are on. Okay, we are live. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I think that was a fun team building for those of you that experienced my inability to make sure that I was live on LinkedIn. But anyway, happy Culture Cast Day, happy Friday, and more importantly, happy Dina Kaplan. I'm so excited you're here. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to chat with you and your community. Uh, I've been looking forward to this. Oh my goodness, I know. I'm so looking forward to this. Um, so where are you right now? Are you sitting in New York? Like, where are you? So I thought I would be in Thailand right now in Koh Lanta, but instead, uh, very similarly, I am in New York City and heading to Mexico tomorrow. Oh my goodness. Okay, so you will still represent International Women's Day and more importantly, Women's History Month, because you're going to be all over the world. And so you're heading to Mexico. Well, Dina, I'm super excited that you're here. And I think everyone kind of read your background. I mean, you're the founder of The Path. You are a guru to many in terms of, I think, just mindfulness and being centered. But before we even get into that with you as the founder of The Path, like I, I want to get into your story because I remember when you and I first met, we are, for those of you who are listening, like we became fast travel buds throughout COVID, like you, Michael, and I. A hundred percent. We were BFF, hashtag, you know, COVID travel and COVID friendships. And honestly, being friends with you and Michael and being up for adventure and, and actually something that we'll talk about okay. uh, when we're together is that you would say, hey, I'm going to visit or we're going to go take the trip. And you would do that. And I also have this very bizarre in 2023 integrity with my word, but I'm the same way. So if I say, I'm going to Idaho, I'm going to Idaho, and you said that, and we went to Idaho, and, you know, it's part of living life and having fun and enjoying life, which is really, in the end, what the path is about, so. I mean, uh, right, yeah. and by the way, I'm sitting in Idaho right now, on well, another, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm at uh, the Bronze Buffalo Ranch, so, oh, yeah. So, actually, Nick just told me to come literally five minutes ago, or I shouldn't say five minutes, about 50 minutes ago, so maybe I'll oh, my be there I mean, reroute, I'm here. So, yes. all right, let's talk about the Dina that I know behind the scenes. Like you have such an amazing background. You know, you've, you've, your profession has dabbled in many things, which is why I think you're able to relate to so many people or why they resonate with you. Um, I mean, where can I start or where do you want to start? You tell me like how you ended up Dina in the world and Dina as you know, on your way to the path. Yeah. So Dina in the world starts at nine years old, probably we can okay. go forward after that. But I was this kind of nice, innocent kid from Pittsburgh. So yes, very 
relatable. And it's funny, we actually, I run this uh, kind of high-end retreat, uh, so you could say kind of like a TED for meditation called Mela. And a lot of our guests are from Pittsburgh, just by complete coincidence. But so I come from this kind of folksy place where people actually smile and say hi to each other as they walk down the street. But I just had a ton of insecurities. Uh, I was not a cosmopolitan kid. So I think if we go into my story and really in the end, the capacity for each of us to change, it would start with me really being bullied and not treating well, being treated well and being very not cool at summer camp when I was nine years old, surrounded by really cosmopolitan little kids. And at the end of that summer, I basically made a vow to myself. And I said, I'm never going to be the reject again. I never want to be in this position. I'm going to hone my social skills so finely that I'll be popular for the rest of my life. And then Marissa, for better or for worse, I actually did that, but it was at the expense of ever saying what was on my mind. And you've been a big muckety-muck, I know, at huge corporations. And you know that when you're managing and you're leading, having that pleasing instinct and this kind of obsession to be liked and popular, it just doesn't work and it doesn't scale. Yeah, I it it doesn't. Although what I do love and what you're sharing about being nine and being bullied, look, I think we we all share that. I've, I've had similar bullying stories where it just reminds you, like it's going to a school when you move and then you're in a new neighborhood and then kids make fun of you, whatever. That you know you make a vow to yourself, not ever again will I be pushed around. And it is about really getting clear with yourself. And so I, I love that you're saying that. And that how that manifested for you in the world though was, and always being clear about what you want to say and how you think and how that's awesome. And at the same time, sometimes needs to be um, navigated, right? If you're, if you're amongst mixed company and depending on where you are, right? So I think that's what I'm hearing you say. And then I love this whole capacity to change. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So for me, I basically built my whole, whole personality around this pattern of being pleasing. So the positive side is that I'm super aware. And this is something that I actually really, in the end, seek to teach people. And I think ultimately will be my, my big mission in life, which is teaching people, including managers, and this will get us towards talking about culture, to be more aware. Like we have these hopes and dreams and good days and bad days and thoughts and thank you Mike in our minds but so does everyone else and so I sometimes will invite people to think about everyone else as being a, a dot of consciousness uh, and we're just one dot of consciousness so if we can be more aware of that we'll be better in terms of navigating our lives and better managers and leaders and all of that but in the end where my own story leads me at this point is to many years so yeah I co-founded a tech startup. We super scaled, we raised a gazillion dollars, but that whole time I never had the confidence to be myself. So my pleasing instinct was really not serving me. It did great for me outside the company. I was on, you know, every panel that you could think of in the tech world yeah. and in the new media world and in the press all the time, but it actually made me very unpopular within my company. I think that Ultimately, when you're spending a lot of time with people, they crave authenticity. And I, I lacked that. There was no there there. There was just this pleasing instinct. So to very quickly fast forward, I ended up leaving the tech company after seven years, did this big trip around the world, met a cute guy walking off a plane in India who invited me to retreat. I had no idea what I was getting into, but ultimately he was taking me on a 10-day silent, gender-segregated Vipassana retreat. And on that retreat, 
Thank you, Lisa, for what you're saying. <laughs> On that retreat, I realized for the first time in my adult life that this pattern of pleasing, of just desperately wanting to be liked was not serving me and that it was time to shift that habit and to gain the confidence to just be myself and let the cards fall where they may, even if that meant that I wasn't liked and I wasn't popular anymore. Wow, it took a trip around the world and a cute guy on a plane <laughs> in India. Um, can, I, can I just like stop for a second though? I and mean, the fact that you are a female and you founded a tech company that did raise a, a gazillion dollars, can we just say how badass that is? I, I just need to say that because I think that is just super unusual, especially in the tech world. So, um, and I know that you learned a lot and you ended up going on to um, a different path, but dude, do that. Yes, right? Thank you. Yeah, there was, there was a lot of stories there that I haven't really shared all. It will all be in the book, but yeah, I'd actually, to be honest, thank you for pointing that out. You're very aware, thank you. Uh, definitely on your path, of course. Uh, yeah, it actually was, impossible to raise money literally by going by myself into a meeting because I got harassed, not at some meetings, but basically at every single solitary meeting that I went to. Uh, so in the end, I just had to bring a man with me. I would used to joke with people, I should bring my grandfather, I should bring like, oh, no. this person from the street. I just had to bring any guy with me because otherwise it would end, I would end up in a situation that wasn't safe for me. So in the end, I did do that. I would bring men with me on these meetings, but I was doing the talking, at least for the early races. And yeah, actually, thank you for saying that. I'm really proud. I raised the first two and a half rounds of funding for my company. And at that time, I think, I think I was the only woman, at least on the East Coast, that was out there that I know of raising money for a really scalable uh, tech companies, that, tech company that had a huge potential. Oh my God. I mean, I get goosebumps when you talk about that. I'm proud of you. And I didn't even think I knew you back then when you did that. So go get it, girl. And I mean, you're paving the way for others who are probably afraid to do that. Um, and so I, I just want to make sure we recognize that because I think you have to go through something like that, which then I think led you to your calling, um, of beyond pleasing. And then can I just highlight too? I mean, the fact that you've worked in the white house, what the heck Talk, can you share with that, uh, about that a little bit too? Yeah, it was amazing. It's funny. I ran into a very good friend of mine, one of my roommates from college. And she said, every job you've ever had has been this super high profile kind of glamorous sounding job. And I never really thought about it. But yes, I worked at the White House. I went from there to working at MTV News back when it was cool to work at MTV News. And we played music and covered music. And then went from there to being on TV as a TV reporter and then founding a tech company. Yeah. So everything except for actually make money. I should go work at a bank or a hedge fund. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if we're if we're getting to the honesty here, and thank you for being such a good yeah. listener, it's so friggin' rare, and it's such a it's such a badass quality to have right now. So I just want to call that out and appreciate that. I wonder, did I have all of these glamorous sounding jobs because I felt always that I wasn't good enough on my own. And so if I met someone at a cocktail party, I could at least be Dina from the White House or Dina from MTV News back when that was you know not a joke. Yeah. A short kind of thing, but a cool thing. Uh, Dina, who's on TV for NBC, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think so, but there might be something to that, right? Like if I felt like I wasn't enough, at least people would want to talk to me because I always worked somewhere that could be helpful. <laughs> to I, oh my gosh, I totally feel you. And actually, um, I know that Edna, Edna's on here and she was talking about the people pleasing as well. 
Um, but I hear you. I mean, I relate to that when you talk about being not only just you. So when I talk about, okay, I'm Marisa and I, I am from this company or that company, right? And it, it's enough to be you at the end of the day. And I think that's what's amazing about this journey that you've been on and what you've been able to create with the path. And you talk about the path. So let's get into like, why is it called the path? How did you end up deciding, all right, now that you, I know you didn't end up with a cute guy, but you did travel around the world and you studied many cultures, behaviors, people that got you onto this path to the path. So let's talk about that. Okay. To be clear, there were lots of cute guys on that trip. But okay. <laughs> okay. We're not to talk about that right now. Uh, but do not do not shed any tears for me in my two and a half year trip around the world. It was pretty friggin' awesome. But this part of the story, Marisa, really starts on day eight of that silent retreat, having followed cute guy number one uh, to a silent gender segregated Vipassana. By the way, he hadn't mentioned to me that there'd be no soap, no toilet paper, and no air conditioning, and it was 110 degrees every day. Uh, so oh my goodness. Yeah, it was intense to the 1,000 millionth degree. But on day eight, I basically saw a jigsaw puzzle in my personality. And I saw this little girl, me, in summer camp, putting in a piece of that jigsaw puzzle saying popular. And then I saw me as an adult taking out that piece and putting in another that said the confidence to be yourself. And that is where the story changed. At the moment that that happened, it was like the shot of lightning flashed through my feet ran through my body, exploded over my head. And this voice, which must have been the voice of intuition, came through me saying, you are going to come out of this retreat a better person. And everyone should have the chance to experience this, but it doesn't need to be this hard. So when you're ready, you will go back to the United States. You will be part of the movement that brings meditation to the mainstream. You will start a company and you will call it The Path. And I open my eyes. I'm surrounded by 200 people from India and the cute guy from Norway. Uh, and we're all on a, a vow of silence, so I can't share it. But I had just been given my life mission. And what's so funny about that story is that I opened my eyes and my first thought was, oh, my gosh, how do I get that URL, thepath.com? Oh, my gosh. Uh, but then I laughed. <laughs> Myself, you know, like always an entrepreneur. And that was it. That was the decision that was kind of made for me through some, I don't know, divine moment, intuition, something in between. And I decided that, look, I knew a lot of people with influence, like you do as well. I worked at the White House. I worked as a TV reporter. I had worked in the tech world. So it's time to bring these people that have huge impact and anyone else that wants to join. And make meditation fun and beautiful and easy. Like, I think we have this image of meditation being these stern monks, you know, in a cave looking very somber. But in the end, meditation is about bringing light uh, and happiness and joy into our lives. So you'll actually will often see me wearing bright colors. And yeah, why not look fashionable? I know that you're into fashion. <laughs> I do meditation in beautiful places or Mela retreat. We do it, these beautiful resorts either in the mountains or the next one is by the beach and let's make meditation fun because in the end it's it's meant to bring joy to us oh my gosh I mean I see that um everyone's just freaking out over your story on how the path actually came to you in silence um and I, I love what you said about was it intuition was it a divine intervention was a little bit of everything and I think there's something to be said around, again, getting that clarity and confidence. And you talk about that puzzle piece of like popularity versus 
confidence and being who you are. And I think when you find that moment, you know, what you're reminding me of, and I, I relate to that, right? When you're finding that moment of just loving exactly who you are and celebrating how you got there, right? I mean, it's not always a perfect path. Um, that's when clarity really happens. And so, and then for you, I, I can't imagine, I have to also believe the energy that you were around, you know, with a couple hundred people in India and in that silence of everyone in that silence together meditating, I'm sure that had something to do with it too. And that, oh. like the energy that you were surrounded by. Yes. Are we allowed to be a little sassy? We're not, we're not regulated by Absolutely. The we're not being regulated so, by anybody. So, uh, there's a, there are, I mean, please, I hope everyone has a sense of humor, but there's something that I say when I'm leading group meditations and hopefully you have a sense of humor as well. But I say there's only two things uh, better done in a group, sex and meditation. And no, I'm joking about the first <laughs> part of that. I am just teasing. Uh, but there is something about meditating in a group that is incredibly powerful and every meditator that I've ever met, which is a high denominator, will agree. So science can't quite explain it yet, but we're close. There's something about the brain waves all aligning and having this single pointed focus uh, where we're all, you know, pushing towards equanimity, peacefulness, yeah. insight that helps. So you're right. It was, I mean, that was a massive intuition. And I had told myself before when I left the tech company, I'll do anything. I'll go back to being a TV reporter. I can write. I can. There's a lot of things that I'd be interested in doing. I never want to run a company again. And somehow <laughs> when that intuition came, it was, you know what? Uh, maybe this is even what the Buddha would do now, right? Like how would you scale the teaching of meditation? You might, you might run a company and have a lot of classes online and scale those teachings. Because in the end, it's about moving people away from suffering and towards living with more joy and delight and ease and let's get that message out there I mean right I think um so first of all I know that Mike is just jonesing on this joy right now with us um <laughs> but I think you're right I think about first of all there's a lot of studies out there now especially post-covid around the information that emanates actually from your head or from your head actually to your heart and your gut. Yeah. And when you're kind of listening to that space in between, like, you know, your heart and your gut, how actually that is probably more powerful and informative than all that intelligence that people are trying to fill your head with. And then, yeah. Yeah. I mean, throughout the day, I'll actually do something called muscle testing where I'm essentially, I can show you if you want, but essentially tapping into the wisdom of the body. I mean, our, so the body has neurons uh, in it and those neurons are directly connected to the brain. And certainly when we're doing Vipassana meditation, which is what I was doing in India and part of what I teach and what I practice myself, we're, we're shedding layers and we're in the end getting to the insight, the memories that can teach us something uh, and that we're ready for. And if you start listening to them, they actually show up even more. So I'm constantly throughout the day tuning into my intuition. Okay, what is the right thing to do here? Even in terms of conversations with people, when is the right time to have that difficult conversation and try to stay aware of not just what I'll say, but as the great pollster Frank Luntz would say, what is it that people are hearing? Uh, and so I'm constantly trying to, you know, a, yeah, tune into my own intuition and also maintain and hold an awareness of what my actions and words, how they'll be read by, you know, how, how it'll land for the person that I'm speaking with. 
Oh my gosh. I so relate to that. You know, I think about, and I, I think if we could do a quick, like, show us how you do that muscle testing that you're talking about, um, that I, I'm always mindful about how I show up and how that might impact other energy, you know, in the room. And, you know, and it's, it comes from your wisdom too. I'm thinking about like everything that you learned and then going on to do this, that it, it's about you and it is about everybody else. Right. So, um, let's get into culture. So I know you're on a culture cast. We're talking about creating a culture of meditation and, you know, mindfulness and well-being. How would you define culture in your world? Yeah, well, so I would say that there are three things in terms of bringing a, a culture of mindfulness. I do run a Buddhist company now. We did get the URL, although it was a little non-obvious and it took a year, but we do have that URL. And it's really important that I and we, my team and our whole company, not just teaches ethics and Buddhism and everything that came to me on that in that moment on the retreat day eight in India, but that we infuse our culture with it. So the culture is, I guess you could say this is very non-precise, but it's the vibe, it's the standard, it's the guardrails uh, with which your company runs and exists. And so I think three things are really key. One is, and we all at my company, everyone that works with us has to take a vow of honesty and we are meticulous with it, Marisa. In fact, even to the point that two days ago, I thought we had nine spots left in our meditation teacher training program that's beginning next week. And so I put that on the site that we have 10 spots left and my head of operations emailed me to say, no, Dina, that's wrong. It's 10. And she literally went in, she went on the site, she went on the homepage and she changed everything. We have to be a hundred percent meticulous with our words. Uh, and we are like that with everything, even in very, very, very non-obvious situations. I mean, for me, just to give you an example in my personal life, I'm constantly undercharged at hotels and restaurants. It's like my Buddhist test on a near daily basis. So let's say I'm at a hotel for five days and yeah. they charge me for four. I have to say, no, I was here for five nights. You need to add that charge. And they're so confused. And they start to get, you know, a little defensive and aggressive. What are you saying? You're trying to get charged for three days. And I'm like, no, no, you have to actually increase the charge for another night. So it's like that. I run this high-end retreat that I know many of your friends go on and hope yeah. you'll miss at some point called Mela. And that always sells out. But at the end, if we say, for example, we have three spots left, and it's actually, it's four, I will actually write in and do uh, like sort of like a newspaper will do. I'll do a correction and say, I'm so sorry, it's four spots left. I was wrong. And it is just absolute ethics through and through. So that's number one. Number two, going back to that people pleasing side, I was really hard to work for at my tech company because I, I have a very strong attention to detail. I think maybe it comes from being the daughter of a Harvard Business School professor I uh, knew that went out that have been to business school. My dad is Robert Kaplan from the balance scorecard and activity-based costing. So if someone works for me and they make a mistake, that's significant. I will know that. And so I might convey that with my vibe, but when I was in a pleasing state back at the tech company, I couldn't tell them that. So I'd say, oh, thank you so much. But they knew it was fake and person after person would quit working for me. Now I'm super honest. Hey, you know what? You made a mistake there. Can you correct that? You can just say it uh, and be honest and be vulnerable. Then people will respond well to that. And so I'll also say like if I had a bad night's sleep, I'll tell my team, hey, you know what? I don't feel well. I didn't sleep well. If I see anything off, please give me a pass for that. 
Uh, so that is really important as well. And then actually, I guess there's four. The okay. third, oh, sorry. The third that I think is really important. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this since you're the guru of this, Marisa. But I have a no, a very strict no gossip policy at my company. And that includes that no one that works for me, teachers, assistant teachers, anyone, PAs, anyone at any level, they can't come to me with a complaint about someone until they've actually gone to that person and tried to address it directly. So there is literally zero gossip. So it might be a situation where you have to talk about, do we want to keep working with this partner or not? That would fall into a work conversation and that's okay to have. But in terms of, you know, a complaining, a gossipy type of tone, you kind of know that when you see it, it's literally zero. And with that, there have been zero personnel issues. And I think that that, yeah, I think that's really important. I actually will pause there. And- I, I mean, I have so much to say about that. I love that it, you call it a no gossip policy. Yeah. I mean, having had a career in people and human resources, you know, I think half of the coaching challenges where leaders come to you or employees come to me and say, you know, I have this challenge. And typically it's somewhat like gossiping, right? They'll talk about an experience that they had and they're trying to navigate their way through it. I don't mind if they're coming to me with how do I go and have this conversation with that person? I get it. So let's, let's coach you to have that conversation with that person, but don't just show up with a problem. And, you know, and that's what it sounds like. Like, ah, I have a problem with this person, which is why people gossip or whatever. They're throwing shade at somebody it has to be for some reason, right? Unless they're just having a really bad day and people have bad days. I know I do, but I think it's such a great policy calling it no gossip because I find that when, um, in my profession, when people have done that, one of the first questions I'll ask is, have you had this conversation with that person? And let me, you know, and then they'll go, well, I don't know how to, okay, let's get into it then. But then this is between you and I. And then the next time we talk about this, tell me how it worked out, right? And then what did you learn from it, right? So it's kind of like that. And I think if more companies were like that, that's part of that. Um, you know, this is a new terminology that I've been using. You know, now having been in all these huge companies and you, you don't see or you don't see the force field until you leave it, right? Like there's weird behaviors that occur that you need to just call that, call that shit out. Right. So I know we're not being monitored right now, but um, I love that you do that. And I think more companies should be in that authentic space of just like, if you have uh, an issue or concern, get in there, right. Get in there and talk about it directly with that person and we can all yeah, grow up. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And also I think it converged towards actually the fourth one that I wanted to say, and then, uh, I'll make a comment about both of them is that we have a policy of being helpful to people at every level. So I will help people that are doing our social media uh, when they need it. And I will ask for their help and advice. What do you think about this? And so it's, I mean, of course there's a hierarchy. I do think it's hard in the modern world to run a company without a hierarchy, but I will be helpful to people at every level and vice versa. And I'm also happy to take input. Like I want them to tell me, Hey, I didn't like your tone on this, or I don't like the way we handled this. So a, a flat uh, hierarchy in terms of giving advice and feedback and being helpful, like a culture of kindness, uh, which also goes, I think, with the no gossip. You know, as we're talking, it's actually making me think about something that is my new obsession. And that is this 
belief that we're kind of powerless in a way like, you know, X is that person's problem. Maybe that's yeah. why they're coming in with this gossiping or I can't get ahead or I can't be happy or I can't get my job done because of X, Y or Z. And that could be people or forces. Uh, Buddhism and what I believe in is all about feeling powerful. We have so much control over our lives. What do we say we have? We're not in North Korea right now, right? We can we can say almost whatever we want within an appropriate context. Yeah. We have power over our words. We have power over our actions. We have power over our integrity. Like if I say to you, Marisa, okay, we're doing this podcast, like I'm going to be here and I'm going to be ready. And if we say, okay, hey, you know what? I decided to come to Idaho tomorrow. I will be there. We have an incredible amount of control and power over our lives. And when we live in that way, it is literally empowering. And I think that is a huge part of living with joy uh, and also having a, a culture that's really happy and functional at your company that people feel powerful and not like, oh, I can just complain. I, I'm not a fan of complaining uh, at all. And it's, it's like taking your power away and it's, I think, a bit useless. Yeah, I, I so love that. And um, I love this whole, first of all, going back to how can you be helpful at every level? Um, you know, it's funny, I don't have one handy, but on the back of my business card is the question, how can I be helpful to you? Just period. You know, I may not do business with you, but can I certainly help you to do something? And I think when you think about organizations, yes, there's a hierarchy, but there can be a flat one, as you said. Yeah. I think that's powerful and empowering when, you know, to talk about being comfortable in your skin and to own that, right. And own that decision, but also empowering to other people uh, about help. And, you know, I, I relate to that too. I think about, um, and, and I know one of my colleagues and former team members who I've worked with is actually on here. He, he's commented a few things, but you know, there was a moment and, and in my last role, you know, oh, big deal. You're, you're an executive at a company and I come back from a board meeting, right? And I get feedback from my CEO on what I did well, but then what I could be doing differently, right? And it really actually kind of sucked. I got like, wow, I need to be better at this. And I remember going to my meeting. So we had these, I called them huddles, but like once a week I'd get together with my direct reports and, you know, I got in there and just said, I, I need your help. And I just kind of shared with them, here's the feedback that I received, right? Here's all the goodness and had the chance to recognize you all did that because all the hard work in pulling together the pre-read or the presentation, which then I represented, you know, in the conversation with the board, this was like right on. But then here's personal feedback that I got on my communication style or what I communicated and the way I communicated it. And it's not good. Right. And the team, I didn't know the story until later, but when I just said, and I need your help because I don't know what else I should be doing differently to have a different result. The next time I go to the board, I mean, the team rallied behind that and they're like, you know, then I hear the stories afterwards where they all huddled behind me and they're like, all right, what are we going to do so that, you know, Marisa can roll in the next time and just crush this, mm. right? And I think it's empowering when it is, and I think Edna put this on there, like personal accountability about honesty and mobility, just actually putting yourself out there because that is power. Not, I think being powerless is being afraid to do that. Oh anyway. my God. 
That's very deep. I agree with people that are writing goosebumps earlier. I feel goosebumps with that. Yeah, it's, this has definitely shown me that we, we can change. I mean, we know that we know that through neuroscience and I'm sure you and your community and everyone listening knows that we can change our brains and we can change our patterns. The old me was, Oh, everything's fine. I'm great. I actually used to literally dig my fingernails into my hand uh, to stop myself from crying when I wanted to cry because my co-founders who were all men were like, there's no crying in baseball or startups. What the heck, Dina, what's going on here? Now I'll, I'll say to my head of operations, I just had to have uh, a really intense chat with our head of production for Mela. And I went to my head of operations who works for me. And I said, I don't, I don't know how to have this call. I'm nervous. Uh, should I be the one to do this? Do you have any advice about how to approach it? Frigging vulnerable and she said here's the way to do it uh and she was right uh and it went super well so yeah i guess if we can go away from that you know chest beating or whatever that you would call that from the leah iacocca days of leadership in the 1980s but also <laughs> not towards the old dina kaplan of like everything's fine uh and be ourselves and be vulnerable but also not complain you know to own our power and just be mindful with our words and our actions we we can do anything i mean i, I know that sounds maybe that sounds a little bit uh cheesy or not sure what the, what the right word is but the more control that people perceive that they have then the happier they are right you want to feel like you have agency and so complaining gossiping these are all ways of giving away your agency so i actually believe so strongly in this marisa that i i don't gossip in my personal life and if i somehow enter a group of friends and there's gossip going on i i'll just withdraw because i don't want to be around it these are all ways to not live with mindfulness uh and they're ways of living that are not going to make you happy so let's step towards happiness and right yeah exactly I totally agree with you. I think um, it's just not, it's, I'm all around about energy. Yeah. And when I am in, an, in, in a group and they'll start talking about either someone that I know or someone that I don't know, but it sounds like shade. I'm like, wow, I don't want to be part of this conversation. Like I, I have no role in this in terms of like enjoying the time that I have that is free where I'm sitting with you, you know, on that. That's really interesting. But I, I want to go back to um, what you said about when people feel like they have the power, you know, for themselves and, you know, everyone's going to be much happier, you know, I think about that in the context of organization culture. Um, and I think what's happening today post-COVID with all these organizations, you know, people leaving, how do we retain them? Is it a hybrid workplace? Do we come back to work? All of that, right? And I think it's all about the way I define inclusion or the way I define diversity, which is different. It's all about the ability to actually acknowledge and see each individual for who they are and, and, and a responsibility that you have, whether you're a leader, a coworker, or someone that you're, you know, you're around that person every day, you know, how do you inspire confidence in them that they can just show up and be that and be that, think that, you know, bring all the great ideas, all the bad ideas, whatever. But I think we're better off when people can actually feel the confidence to do that and they have clarity in their purpose and how that's aligned to whatever it is that you're working on, you know, it is so empowering. I mean, I think about that and I think about how relevant it is today 
in this new business world where I think, um, yes, it is about margin pressure. You know, a lot of large companies are talking about, but not at the cost of forgetting that there's actually human beings that work in the middle of all of this. Yeah. And people are different. So part of diversity, I think, as you're making reference to is this neurodiversity that we're learning more about yes. and being more sensitive to. So with that, we know that people will receive information in different ways. And the burden is on, I don't say the burden, the opportunity is there for us as leaders and as people working within the business world, even within a Buddhist meditation business to be mindful of, again, like what Frank Luntz would say, it's not what you say, it's what people hear. So if you have neurodiversity, you might not be able to hear, okay, you need to do these eight things and please do it quickly. You know, it might be, let's do this one thing and focus on that. And then you move on uh, to the next task. Uh, so it's about actually, as our friend Nick Sonnenberg uh, would say it's about setting up these systems where people can retrieve the information when they want to retrieve it and having the information be easily retrieved. Uh, but it's also for us to explain things in a way that will be heard uh, so that someone can take action on that. And I will say part of this is actually the responsibility if you're being given feedback, like the tough feedback yeah. that you got. I mean, when I'm given feedback, uh, I don't, I'm probably not perfect on it, but having been on TV and in like a bathing suit and who knows what on TV, I'm <laughs> pretty like over it. I'm like, give me the feedback. It's okay. Like, please. I kind of think of it as free executive coaching. Coaching is so expensive right now right um, I know we have a friend who I think charges sixty thousand dollars for six months and you can't even book a session with her because she's so booked out so you start getting feedback like oh thank you that just saved me ten thousand dollars so I think you can take it in the guise of wow that's great that is like free executive coaching and also in Buddhism there's this concept of emptiness and also that everything is fluid, like not really very few things are fixed. Everything is impermanent and it's moving. So if you can take feedback as empty, meaning that the words are just the words, I don't know, I'm making this up. I don't think yeah. I have an yeah. issue with tone, but let's say someone says, I don't like the tone when you're, I don't know, stressed about something. It could mean they just don't like my tone on stress. It's like, that's it. It doesn't mean I hate you. You're horrible. You're bad. I hate working here. So if we could all Byron Katie talks about the extraordinary teacher. Byron Katie talks about the story. Like, what's the story there? If we can just get rid of the story, take words as empty, then we can love getting feedback, uh, especially if it saves us sixty thousand dollars. Yeah, I know that is. She's hardcore, by the way. I love her. Love her. I mean, I love her. And I hear what you're saying. It's not what you say. It's how people hear it, right? And and it it is. It should be. I look at it as data, right? So if you can at least understand the facts, I hate to be so antiseptic about it when someone is giving feedback and I know there's always emotion attached to it, but listen to the facts yeah. to really then hone in on, all right, is there, is, is there a root cause or is there real feedback there that I know I need to listen to without emotion? I think it's really helpful. Although yes. I also recognize that as human beings, you can't be emotionless, but if you can distill it a little bit for like, all right, understand the facts, it goes a really long way. A hundred percent. I mean, you're actually referencing slang in Buddhism, which they call the five khandas or the five skandhas. And the first one is data, which is they think of as the thumb. It's sort of like fingers. Others are story, perception, et cetera, et cetera. But 
yeah, what's the data? Like, okay, yeah. you know what? I don't love when you do X. Like, what if it just means I don't love when you do X? That's it. Yeah. And there's no need to get defensive. There's no need to talk about or think about, yeah, that someone hates me. And that reminds me of when my parents weren't nice to me. Yeah. Just the data. And oftentimes it's actually said with, I don't know if love is the right word, but it's said with care, with kindness. Like, I want you to do better. And by the way, I will work better with you if you do this. So yes. like, thank you. I, I'm sure that I'm not perfect at this. I can't think of a time recently that I flipped out on someone when they gave feedback. I, I perceive my memory as that. I would say, huh, yeah, I could see that. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, I love what you said too, because it is about living a life with joy and actually practicing kindness. And kindness doesn't always mean, hey, I'm all going to be happy and pleasing. No, not at all. I think kindness is being honest. And so when, you know, you just said this, like when you're giving someone feedback, hopefully it is with compassion and with, with care. And I mean, I know I've done this where I'm sharing this with you because I care about our relationship. I care about you, whatever that coaching feedback is, it's coming from a place of care because it's about how do you help them? Not just in that moment. Yes. They'll correct that behavior, but for a lifetime, right? How they can live a better life. And I mean, that's like, a, I'm unpacking just a little bit, but kindness is that. It's not about like, I'm just going to be friendly and super happy with you. Yeah. yeah. And not honest. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I do think, by the way, Laura, just to give you a shout out, this is all about being CEOs of our own lives. It's about yes. realizing how much freedom and power and control we have. Like we're not in Ukraine right now. We're not in North Korea. We are so frigging fortunate uh, to, to have so much freedom about our actions and our words and our lives. So let's, let's live in that. And I want to highlight two things that you just said. One is that I, I believe kindness is a revolution right now. Like after all we've been through, right? We all are watching the news about Ukraine. We've been through COVID. Everyone's been through something with their families, et cetera. If you can go through that and still be kind, how freaking badass is that? Like, I think kindness, it's a, it's a revolution. Like, I think it's the most badass thing that you could do is to be kind. And by the way, to be kind to people, even when they're not kind to you. My friend Patrick McKenna once told me, he was the one that originally suggested the Buddhist path. He's like, maybe you should think about meditating, Dina. And a few years into that, he said, I'm at the point in my practice where I can like someone even when I know that they don't like me. And that is freedom. And you know what? It took me probably about four years, but I'm there. I can like someone even if they don't like me. And it feels so friggin' free. I love it. Why not? I don't have to like someone just because they don't like me. I, I totally agree with you. And I love that you just, and Mike just hashtag this kindness revolution. Look, a few years ago, you know, I, I got interviewed in a piece where someone's like, if you were going to start a movement, what would it be? And I, and I said, I would start a movement for kindness. Why? <laughs> right. I mean, why? First of all, I think everyone no matter what life they've lived is capable of it. There's a capability of actually being kind to others, even if they're a jackass to you, right? So there's, there's that. Um, and I know you're gonna wrap this into like a Buddhism thing, but I think about one thing that I've learned that I've written about in the book that I'm writing, which is all around like, I was in this training program, which was horrible. But the one thing I did get away from, take away from it 
was it's not the stimulus, it's the response. And so it's all in how you choose to respond. And that stimulus, the feedback you're getting, the behavior could be a bad thing or a good thing, but it's all in how you choose to respond. And so when I think about this movement for kindness, here's the deal. Some, you know, like I said, people might have bad days. I think, you know, when you, that act of kindness, even with a stranger of even smiling right at them or holding the door open for them or nodding, right? Um, I think that goes a long way. It just does. Oh yeah. I had this wild day on Wednesday where I had to bring my phone to the Apple store for the third time in three days. And I had left it there for an hour and a half on Sunday and then another bit of time on Tuesday. Then I had to go back uh, on Wednesday and they said, Oh, nothing that we've done before will help. Your phone still doesn't work. And And I actually started crying and no one was sympathetic and no one was kind. And I was getting so frustrated. And then a supervisor shows up and he just looks at me and he says, I am so sorry that this has been so such a pain for you. And I am going to help you. And I just looked at him and said, oh, my gosh, you're so empathetic. And he actually said, ah, I'm Buddhist. I teach Buddhism. I'm like, oh my gosh, me too. So in the end, after all this, I did have to leave my phone for four hours there. And part of this story is that I then had four hours on a weekday in New York City to just go around and play, which was so wild. I went to a museum and they're like, ma'am, please leave your phone uh, here before we go in security. And I'm like, no, I don't have a phone. And they're like, don't be cute with us. Leave the phone here. I'm like, no, no, I really don't have a phone. And they're like, look, we're going to hear the beat. Just just take your phone out of your pocket. <laughs> Please don't be difficult. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm just going to go through. I go through. It doesn't beep. And everyone applauded. Uh, and they said, I could hear them as I walked by. They said, wow, she's actually living her life. That's really inspiring. Um, and I was so happy and playful. And then I was met with that. Like, I think people match your energy. I and agree. I, yeah. And then at the end, I come back to the Apple store four hours later and this supervisor had said, you know what? I just decided to gift you a brand new phone and here's a brand new case and we're not going to charge you for the repair anyway. And it was just this moment of like, he was so kind with me. I was so kind with him back and it ended up just being this, this magical moment. And also having these hours and hours and hours to walk around New York city on a weekday afternoon when everyone's stressed and just not have a phone and there was nothing I could do than have fun. And everyone was so kind to me. It just, it just made me realize how, how free we are to, to be kind and to shift our energy in a minute if we're open to it. But so just to go back in terms of the feedback and culture, like, yes, we can be kind, but you're right. When you have to have a tough conversation with someone, have it. And that is the kind thing to do because you're being, I don't, it shouldn't be this, they call it spiritual passive aggressive in my world where you're you're kind of fake nice to someone, but you secretly hate them. And, you know, you just don't go in on issues. So yeah, if you have an issue with someone that's long-term in your life, maybe not a rude person at the Apple store, but someone that's going to be in your life, if you have an issue, just, just ask them, but ask them directly. Like, Hey, what's going on here? That felt badly. And as you say, that's a kind thing to do. Oh my gosh. You just reminded me it's going back to the no gossip rule in your culture, which I love. I, I will try and adopt that, but then I mean, we're humans too. But I think about like, um, and another company, again, someone would come running in going, oh, I need to talk to you about this. You know, they, they go off and stuff. And I'm like, all right, does that person know that you, exp- you experienced that? Have you had that conversation? And they're like, oh, I don't need that, blah, blah, blah. 
and I'll coach them to like, I'll help you have that conversation. But it's really about how can you help them, right? If they, because they would normally complain about whatever did, whoever did whatever in a meeting, and then they'll throw shade on the way they are. And I'll be like, all right, go have a conversation with them. But also, how can you be helpful to them? And that just, just changes the tone. Yeah. They're like, oh, I guess I could be helpful. And it's actually not helpful coming here. Anyway, you just reminded me of that. And what you remind me of too, which I think has a lot to do with culture, is that, you know, my belief, which is karma, this good energy that you're putting out there. Not that it's you do this, then your good energy will return to you in that way, although in that moment it did. But I have to believe that um, in those moments of being kind to everybody, you know, I think the energy that you put out on the world actually comes back to you, right? And if it's not good energy, then you're going to feel that. I'm just yeah. saying, right? But if it's good energy, like great energy, it's going to come back to you in times when you're not even expecting it. And so I think that's kind of what happened to you on the phone. Oh my God, it was so wild. I literally ended up with this beautiful brand new iPhone in my sleek, lovely- Oh my gosh, in a pink case? Yeah, all for free. They didn't charge me a dollar for it. And yeah, I mean, karma is actually part of the Buddhist uh, canon, the Pali canon. It is about, essentially you can think of, in the Diamond Cutter, uh, a wonderful book, they talk about it as planting seeds. And by the way, intention matters because you can sometimes try to be kind and someone takes it the wrong way and they get mad. That's okay. Yeah. That's a little bit out of your control, but planting seeds. So what, what are those seeds for me? And this was part of building culture. If you're in a leadership role, it's honesty with everything. I mean, that means that if you say, you know what, let's grab lunch that you actually follow up and invite someone to lunch, which by the way, you live that way. I live that way. It's so freaking rare. So it's, it is mindfulness of your words. It's tying in your words to your actions. And it's about intention matters. So is the intent to do good in the world? Is the intent to be kind? Uh, all of that will, it will come back to you. Of course it will. People will match your energy. And I also think there's something about the natural laws of the universe that do reward us when we act in this way. I totally agree. I mean, before we wrap up, I do want to get to this muscle testing. Okay. I mean, I mean, this is like, instead of going, Hey, what's your words of wisdom? Can you like share with us Okay, so like this, what, this hack that you do? Oh, this hack is friggin' awesome. I love it. By the way, this is not the path. So if you end up in our teacher training program or you join us at Mela, we're strict on the Buddhist side. This is not a strict Buddhist thing. Okay. <laughs> From my nutritionist, Dr. Beth, uh, and actually if anyone read Educated, that awesome book by Tara Westover, um, it comes up in that. So I don't have to put the microphone down. Um, Okay, but hopefully you can hear me here all. Yeah. Okay, there we go. Okay, so you can, in, this is a, this is good that you're having me do this because this is really useful. Okay, so you'll interlock your hands. You would connect your thumb with the, I think it's the index finger and you interlock and then you would normally hold it down at your stomach and have, ah, sorry, sorry. So here, um, yeah, so you're tapping into the wisdom of the body. Oh my God, sorry, trying to keep it <laughs> uh, Moment, moment, moment. Okay, um, okay, I'm just gonna put the microphone down. And, so if you ask a yes or no question, and if your hands lock, then that's a yes. And if the hands don't lock, then that's a no. So I can say, uh, you know, should I go back to work after talking to Marisa? <laughs> yes, which I knew it would be. Um, should I go to the park and go to another museum right now? 
no, that's a no. So you can do it with anything. I do it with, you know, should I have dessert at night? Um, should I, I don't know, anything. Like, should I actually come to see you in Idaho tomorrow or keep up the plan for Mexico? You know, you can do it for anything. And I mean, also the idea is that we have all this Michigas going on in our minds, like these thoughts. That's a dream world. Uh, I actually ended up going to a sangha that that Apple, the guy from the Apple store suggested last night. And they were saying that everything, you know, it's illusory. We're kind of living in a dream world if we're just yeah. with our thoughts. Uh, the body actually, it has wisdom. It has the wisdom of our actual lived experience. So if we can tap into that, we can make better decisions in our lives. Oh my gosh. I love that. I love it is tapping into the body, right? And leaving that for a while, let that go ahead and happen. But I love that. I'm going to try that. My next yes or no, I'll do it throughout the day too and see okay. how that works for me. Um, yep. All right. I know we just have a few minutes. I want to wrap with two things. I know you just shared that muscle test that you do, but if there was one thing, although there've been like a hundred things in this discussion that we just had to those who are listening in on like, what can they do right now to make a difference in culture? that they are parts of or that they are shaping? What is the one piece of advice you would provide? Well, I would say to take a no lying vow. Uh, it's a choice. It's an act of freedom, I believe. I wrote an article about it. We can put it up called Two Years to No Lies. It took me two years, literally two years, to figure out how to live in modern society, never lying about anything. But if you start living with that integrity, especially you as a leader with influence over the people that you're working with, it just makes everything more clean. It just ties an integrity into your culture that will make you more successful. So I would say that. I would also say, look, your happiness, your lack of complaining, you living a empowered life will impact the people around you. So maybe try not complaining, maybe take one year. <laughs> like, take I love one, that. Take one year of no complaints. Because by the way, what is that complaint? If it's something you can do to change, like do that thing. And if it's something you don't have control over, get out of your head and live in your life. So maybe take those two vows. And I have absolutely no doubt that that will have a huge impact on your culture. Maybe you write it into your culture, but who wants to live in uh, I don't know, uh, if, I guess, is it Yiddish, like kvetching, I think we would call it, who wants yeah. to live with everybody complaining around them? It's, it's A, not helpful, B, it's kind of a downer, and C, it's, it's living in a way that doesn't give you power. So live with power and freedom, and then maybe do something delightful each day, because you having that delight in you will make you a better leader, and that will make your culture stronger. Oh my gosh. Those are all like th really three good immediately. Now people can start practicing and incorporating every day. No lying. That will take some time. I love how you had to live two years to figure that out. Yeah. Um, I like the no complaints, right? I mean, uh, do something about it, right? <laughs> I don't, I think that's what you're saying. And if you can't do something about it, I love that too. If you have no control over it, well then move on. Right. I think shift your attention. We have this capacity to shift our attention. Yeah. So shift your attention to something else or get out of a bad situation. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, I know we're coming to the top of the hour. First of all, I love that we are all dots of consciousness. If I think about like the beginning of your journey as you were creating the path, that's really, really interesting. And actually, I will continue to ponder that. 
you know, because there's a lot around that. I also love this, and I know that Lisa also said this in one of her comments, is about the intention behind everything that you're doing. Is it, is it uh, truly to be helpful? Is it truly to be joyful? Um, or is it something else? And I think that has a lot to do with, you know, choices that you make in life. Yeah. There's a, I've heard that the Jewish definition of happiness is, can you look at yourself in the mirror at the end of the day and say, everything that I did have control over today, I did with integrity or I did with good intentions in line with my ethics. And if so, you can be happy. And then your happiness is not dependent on anything that happens during your day to you. It's just, did I have good intentions? Uh, did I act with my ethics? Did I speak with ethics each day? And if so, then I'm happy. Then like, what a freaking joyful life we can choose to live. Yes, I love it. All right. Well, Dina, thank you so much for joining us. And I know for those who can get in, I know they sold out right, sell out right away. When you do your Mela retreats, that would be fascinating. And I can't wait for when I can do one. Thank you. No, you we know. have spots on this one. We just sold out our early bird tickets yesterday, last night, which is exciting, but we do have spots. So yeah, if anyone wants to join us, it's thepath.com. Or actually, you know what? You can just write us at sit, which is another word for meditate, sit at thepath.com. We'd love to hear from you. I love it. Well, everybody, we will see you next time at our next Culture Cast. Everyone have an, a beautiful, amazing, happy day with joy and spread that to others. And I mean, I'm excited just, you know, spending this hour with you. I know. It's freaking awesome. Live with freedom. Enjoy. Yeah. I know, right? Like delightful. Live in your power and go empower others. Yes. yes. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. It was such an awesome, delightful hour to spend with you. And I'm super grateful. I'm grateful too. I mean, I'm going to just give you a quick heart. I love you. Thank Peace you. So I much. love you. I accept. Okay. All right.